Squad, we're glad you're here. My name is Matt, and the joy and honor of being the campus pastor here. And uh, it is a good day to be around the area. Sunshine is out there. Uh, somebody said to me earlier, you know, I, I used to not believe seasonal depression stories of people needing sunshine. And then I realized how much I was smiling when I walked out and saw the sunshine. So uh, I hope you are all smiling today. Well, we are jumping into a series, or excuse me, continuing in a series here called In Tune. Uh, we're looking at what it means to uh, live a life and to have a spiritual life that is in tune and uh, connected to God's heart. And we jumped in last week by basically saying uh, there's all the sorts of noise and static that can come into our lives and into our hearts that can impact our relationship with God, that our worries and stresses and fears and the noise of the world have a way of tuning out God's uh, word as he would speak to us, that he would uh, distract us in prayer, uh, all of those things. And so we said we want to launch, as we're getting ready uh, for the upcoming Easter season, this series talking about how do we uh, reclaim some of that space in our life to be able to get our hearts uh, back in tune with uh, the Father. And so last week we said uh, one of the ways the scriptures has given us is prayer and fasting. Uh, that we would create some space in our life through fasting, through some food or media or whatever it might be, uh, to create some space to go, okay, God, I want to filter out the noise and I want to tune in to you. And so I, I would encourage you and invite you, if you uh, haven't joined us yet, uh, join us on this. We're getting ready for Easter. We're choosing to set some things aside. Uh, I'll say personally, we've done this in my family and it's been incredible. Um, it's been a rhythm that I did years ago. I kind of have been out of that rhythm for a while, got back in it as we preached the sermon and uh, the, the spiritual dividends it has brought into my life has just been incredible. So I would love to hear from you. If you have any stories you want to share with me afterwards of how uh, creating some space for the Lord has really encouraged you. So that was uh, what we talked about last week, because what we really want as we consider our spiritual lives is to be in tune. And we want to define tune for you as this, to bring into harmony, that your heart and God's heart would not be juxtaposed, that they would be one, they would be in harmony. And I love the second definition, to adjust for precise function, intensity, or effectiveness, that we could adjust some things in our life to have a really effective prayer life, to have a really effective spiritual walk, and to be ultimately really effective godly individuals, neighbors, brothers, sisters, friends, aunts, uncles, parents, whatever it might be, that we could do it with God's heart with us. And we know that happens only as we come near to God. And so this was a promise given in James chapter four, that if we would come near to God, he will come near to you. And so we have been invited by the God of the universe to take a step towards him, that we would move near him in our hearts. And the promise given there is that he will respond. He will reciprocate. He will move towards us. And that is the gift of this season. So as you look forward to Easter, I pray that this series would stir in you an affection for Jesus that might be deeper than you've ever experienced before. Maybe you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus. I pray this series would stir in you a desire to know him as your savior and the good gift of life that he wants to give you. And so we uh, jumped in prayer and fasting. And this week, I want to ask you a question. I had this big opening illustration. I was going to come out with a guitar and say, we're not done worshiping today. And I was going to play you some songs and it was going to be all out of tune. Nobody would give me their guitar. <laughs> not really sure what that means. Uh, so instead you just get to hear that I was going to do this awesome illustration. And instead I'm going to ask you a question. Do you have any problems in your life? Like any problems at all? Show of hands. Any problems in your life? All right. Universal. There's some problems and are alive. And here's what I know to be true of the human experience. Everybody you come in contact with has problems 
in their life. And so what I want to do today is give you a solution to those problems. And I can give you the same solution and it's going to work for all of your problems, but it might not be the type of solution you think. In fact, the solution scripture gives us for our problems is worship. We're going to dive into the idea of worship today. And I know that we just did worship. And so you might think that when we say the word worship, we just mean singing songs on a Sunday, but worship isn't exclusively a religious thing. You see, we were designed to be worshipers, created by God to be worshipers, but sin broke what we worshiped. And so ultimately you can worship anything. You can worship your job. You can worship your kids. You can worship your sports team. You can worship whatever. Not that we ought to, but we do. You see, worship is when our hearts and our devotion is fixated on something. And sometimes that is us. We can worship ourselves and our own desires. When our devotion is given over to something in adoration, it's how we reflect what we think something is really worth it. And so you see this often played into our emotions. Whatever you are emotionally invested in might be an indicator of something that you're giving uh, adoration and devotion to, which we would call worship. But we want to reclaim that today and talk about biblical worship. What does it mean to have our hearts and our minds give full adoration and glory to God? And how does that then help us with the problems that we face and life. And so uh, worship really is a broad conversation, uh, but we're going to narrow in specifically on the act of singing uh, today. Here, your Bible is going open with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I know you spend a ton of time reading 2 Chronicles. So you're going to find it right away. Uh, not 2 Corinthians, 2 Chronicles. So start at the left side of your Bible, move about a quarter of the way through, and you'll be in the 2 Chronicles range. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to put one in your hands for free back out at the Welcome Center. If not, It'll be on the screen here behind me. But while you're turning there, let me set the context for you of 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles, we are dealing with the ancient nation of Israel. They are God's chosen peace to be an instrument and a light to the nations. At this point, they're under the leadership of King Jehoshaphat, uh, who just happened to be a good king. There was terrible kings and good kings and awful kings uh, that reigned throughout the time period. And God was using these kings, good and bad, to try to direct his people. Well, in this case, Jehoshaphat is actually a good guy loves the Lord, desires to follow the Lord, but he's in a really bad circumstance. He's being surrounded by his enemies because they wanted to take the land that Israel had. Second Chronicles chapter 20, that's where we pick up the story. Verse one, after this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, with some of the Menuhites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Jump down to uh, verse three with me. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. So here's, here's the setting. You're in a city. You've got three enemies surrounding you on every side. They know they're doomed because their army isn't that great. Um, especially not against three armies coming against them at the same time. And so he's terrified, alarmed by this. What does he do? He did what we encourage you to do last week. People came to fast now you need to see right from the bat. He did something that not many Kings did at this point. A lot of kings, even of God's nation, when a problem happened, they ran to another nation for rescue. They ran to a nation that didn't believe in God and said, would you come partner with us and rescue us? But that's not what he does. A problem arose in his life and he paused and said, I need to make space to hear from God. This problem is bigger than me. It's bigger than I can handle on my own. So let me not try to solve it really quick, which is what we can tend to do with our problems because we're human. That's what we like to do is maintain control. He paused and said, let's create some space. He called the whole nation to a fast to say, let's lean in to how God would solve this problem for us. Because uh, as you listen to this story, the way God chooses to solve this problem, you would have never picked. 
Never in your wildest imagination would this have been your strategy to win this battle, which is why it's so important that we walk in the humility that we're going to see in this passage to pause and say, I don't have to be the hero of the story for God who is. So let me lean into him and what he would have to say for us. Let's keep going in verse four. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, The Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Let me pause right there. You see how he begins this prayer? In a difficult circumstance, he says, okay, let's, let's take a minute and remember who our God is. Do we not serve the God who is in heaven? Do we not serve the God who rules all the nations? Do we not serve the God who could squash the three enemies that surround us? Right? He's praying this out to the people, reminding them of the reality of who God is, which is what worship is. That we would proclaim and declare who God is. Well, let's jump down to verse 12 because he says something really essential. He says, our God, will you not judge them? Referring to the enemies. For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. You see the humility in here? For we have no power to solve the problem. How often is that our posture? before the Lord. How much more often is it, God, I have this thing, and maybe you could help me with it while I figure it out. God, I have this thing, and if you want to do something about it, I guess you could. Or we never even bring it to him in the first place, because what happens so often in our hearts, if we're honest, is that when we face these problems, our first position is not to run to God for rescue, but to blame God. Right? Like the, the promise was given to Israel that they would be protected by God. And here they are surrounded by three enemies. How quickly their hearts could have moved to, God, how could you put us in this circumstance? God, how, God you promised that you were going to deliver. How come we're here now? But that's not what he does. He says, God, I don't, I don't know what to do. <laughs> Which should give you some encouragement in your walk with the Lord that the king of God's nation said, I don't know what to do. But my eyes are on you. I think there's few things in life that have the ability to distract or disrupt our connection to God, like the problems we allow to overtake our hearts and minds. There's few things in our life that interrupt that. Like, think with me. You're going through life, and all of a sudden you get a call from the doctor, and it's not the diagnosis you were expecting. What does that do to your connection to God? Do you run to him? Do you run from him? What do you do with the anxieties that pile up in the back of your mind, the worries and the fears and the doubts that keep you up at night? Do they cause you to, to run to God? Or do they cause some tension and perhaps that we would look elsewhere for rescue? See, the, the problem with our problems is they get really big. We sit on them. We think about them. We dwell on them. They have a way of crowding out who God is. They have a way of interrupting our view of him because all we can seem to think about when we're praying is that thing, that problem you raised your hand for, whatever it might be. But Jehoshaphat in the middle of that says, man, there's all these problems and I don't know what to do, but I clear away the mess so that my eyes are on you. 
because I need to see you. And look at what happens as a result. Verse 14. Then the spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, the Levite, and descendants of Asaph. And he stood in the assembly. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. I want you to notice the verse above the highlight. It says, do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. He does not come in and say the trite Christian thing and say, hey, it's not a big deal. No, that's not a big deal. Don't, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. No, no, no. He says, listen, there's a vast army and they want to kill you. It's not like, oh, we're going to come take some land or, oh, we might lose some. No, no, no. Like kill, murder, take off and scatter you as slaves. The problem is real. Your problem you face is real. That is not what the word is saying. The word is saying, yes, your problems are real. But listen, God's still bigger. God's still bigger. See, we have a faith where we never have to minimize the reality of the difficulties of our life because our God will always be infinitely larger than even the biggest problems we face. Bigger than the diagnosis, bigger than the crisis, bigger than the marriage difficulties, bigger. Why? Because the battle is already won. And there's no problem you will face that Jesus is up there going, oh no, I don't know what to do with this one. He's already accomplished it. And he's invited you into the space where you don't have to fight all those battles. You get to participate in those battles, but you don't have to fight them. Why? Because the power of sin and darkness was already broken at the cross. You then get to receive the victory Jesus has already purchased for you. And so I wonder for some of us, if the weight we are carrying is because we look at our problems and we say, man, these are my problems, not God's problems. The invitation of worship is to make your problems God's problems because they're his already. Some of you think it's your battle. No, 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 it's God's battle and he wants to invite you into the victory of that battle. Listen to the battle plan though, verse 16. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up to the pass of Ziz and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jerul. You will not have to fight this battle Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Man, I could sit on this ver- these verses forever. What did he say in there? He said it's the, the Lord's battle, not yours. But then what did he do? He said, get up and go face your problems. Get up and go look at the enemy. Go get, in, go get up and go meet your problems. Go get in up and meet the enemy. And then what? Stand firm. What does that sound familiar to? Ephesians. Having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore. Well, that's the invitation. I don't have to move. I don't have to run. I don't have to retreat. All I have to do is get up here and remind you that you've already lost. That's the invitation he gives to them. He says, do not be discouraged. Go out and face your problems. The Lord will be with you. Listen to what happens. Verse 18. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground. Notice his posture. 
And all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshiped before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and the Korathites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Jump down to verse 21. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for his splendor of his holiness. And they went out ahead of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. They're ready to go to battle and all of a sudden Hillsong gets cranked in the boom box and they just break out in this worship service, right? Like they're headed off to battle and they're out here singing songs of praise because their hearts were so moved with that, the fact that God would speak to them, the, God, the fact that God would promise this, the fact that God would already deliver them and their hearts are moved to worship, which is why we worship. Because as we look at the deliverance that Jesus purchased for each one of us, it brings about the joy of our salvation (laughs) that I'm going into battle already a victor. If you're taking notes today, I want you to write this down. Worship is God's battle plan. As you consider the problems and difficulties in your life that you're facing, God has given you worship as an instrument to fight back the doubts, to fight back the fear, to fight back the anxiety, to fight back the stress, to fight back the marital issue. God has given you a strategy to remind the enemy where he's going, to remind your heart of where you're going. If your faith and trust is in Jesus. I want you to listen to the song, because what kind of songs do you sing when you go into battle, right? Like, I'm thinking some heavy metal, like, get you all jazzed up for fighting, right? No, no, no. Listen to the song. It's in verse 21. Give thanks to the Lord. Throw this up there, guys. Give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord? What? <laughs> We're about to go into battle. We're about to fight. We, God might not come through on this. Give thanks to the Lord. See, over and over and over again, you will see gratitude as the marker of a heart of worship because it recognizes it has been given far more than it ever deserved and it will, has already received more than it has ever deserved. And so over and over again, we're encouraged to sit in the place of gratitude, being reminded of the miracles God has worked in our life in the past. And it's crazy how quickly we forget them. But if we took time to thank God for everything he did for us, we would never Stop singing. If we really sat with the gospel and the good news of Jesus and all the ways God has provided, we would never stop singing. You ever prayed with those people? And if this is one of you, I'm not coming down on you. I'm, I'm, I'm envious of you, if I can say that from stage. Where they're praying and they start thanking God while they're praying. And you're wondering if you're going to get done before lunch or after dinner. All right, like they just keep praying and praying and thanking God and thanking God and thanking God. I sit there in those moments, very hungry, but I sit there in those moments going, wow, how joy-filled their life must be. Because I know what's going on in their life. It's not all roses. Yet this is the posture they're choosing to sit in. And I wonder what joy they live with that I'm missing out on because I don't always sing with gratitude the things that God has done in my life. Well, then here's the second line of the song. It's only got two lines in the song. For his love endures forever. Remember, they could die today. They're going into battle with their hymnals, not their swords. There's a good chance death is in front of them, and yet they sit reminding them of themselves of the eternal love of God. 
that he will never leave them. He will never abandon them. He will never forsake them. And I wonder if the next time we faced our problems, we first sat in a place of gratitude and then we sat in a position of reminding ourselves that God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. That no weapon formed against you can prosper because your God is above the nations. Certainly he's above the diagnosis. Certainly he's above the uncertain future. Certainly he's above the financial crisis because his love endures forever. Write this down. Worship reminds us how big our God is. See, here's the thing about worship that I think we get mixed up sometimes. It's not like God is up there in heaven having an identity crisis going, man, I really hope they sing some songs about me. I'm feeling pretty lonely. It's not like the next problem came and Jesus is like, I don't know what to do with this one. I hope they can remind me. No, no, no. It's not that God has short-term memory loss. It's that we have short-term memory loss. It's that we so quickly forget who he is and who we are to him. And I think sometimes we forget that if you put your faith in Jesus, you're a child of the king. You serve the living God who was and always will be. That's who he has created you to be. And so sometimes what we have to do is look our problems as big as they are and just back up a minute and realize how big our God really is. And so as we sing in corporate worship, this is why we do this together is because you know how many times I've been back here setting up chairs and singing and praising and and engaged and I look over and I see one of you just praising the Lord and, and pouring your heart out to him. And I know some of your stories and I know what you're going through. And yet I see you declaring through your words that God is good, that you have 10,000 reasons to praise him and what faith that stirs in me. So go, man, I know what they're going through. Look at how big their God is to them. And it gives me faith, which is why corporate worship is so important. That we together would remind each other when we forget. And that we have more than 10,000 reasons to bless our God. And I know right now in the circumstances, it doesn't feel like it. I've been there, brother. I've been there, sister. Let me remind you of who God is. Watch what happens. Verse 22. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Amnon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and the Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. And they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, and they helped destroy one another. Different times, different places. God doesn't work that same way now. Don't start praying that way for your enemy. But do you see what happened right here? They walked out to battle. They started declaring how faithful God has been, declaring how faithful he will always be. And God defeated their enemies for him. As he so often will, he will turn sin upon itself. It's defeated and it's gone. You see, worship is a problem for your problems. But that difficulty in your life, how God is trying to use, or how the enemy would try to use that difficulty and that problem in your life is to distract you from the power you have in declaring God's greatness. The resource you have in the Holy Spirit to make you more than an overcomer, as Romans would tell us. And every time you get into the posture of worship, it's a problem for your problems because your problem has already been defeated. You're not a problem for your problem, but God is. Let's say it this way. Rich Wilkerson, a pastor down in uh, Florida, says it this way. So when I raise my voice to God, I lower the voice of the enemy. You know, sometimes life is so difficult, and this is coming from a pastor, so hear it for what it is, that just reading the Bible doesn't always cut it. 
Like you can be in such despair that you can read it and you go, ah, I, I know this is true, but it's just not speaking to me in the same way. And then you turn on the car radio and you hear that song declaring the exact same thing that you read in the word that morning. And it just all of a sudden moves your heart to a place that you couldn't have gotten there before. Because what you're doing is you're raising your voice to God and saying, doubt, get out of here. Anxiety, get out of here. Fear, get out of here. Can I tell you, as I was writing this sermon, I was writing it about two months ago, um, I sometimes occasionally will get writer's block where I'll write and I'll look at it and go, this is terrible. They're going to boo me off the stage. Delete. I'll write again. You know, now they're throwing tomatoes at me. Delete, right? Like I sat with this thing for probably four or five hours and I got nowhere. And finally, I just felt the spirit kind of nudge me. Like, why don't you put this sermon into practice? You've clearly got some problems. Why don't you spend some time in worship? And so I left where I was at and I went into the safety of my car, which is where I feel uh, most comfortable singing. And I cranked some Red Rocks worship. And can I tell you, I was hearing the exact words I was reading, but it moved my heart in a totally different way. Song after song, it felt like the word of God was coming to life to me. And I almost started crying because I realized how powerful this was. I was dealing with some insecurities. I was dealing with fears. I was dealing with leadership problems. And all of a sudden it just washed away because I saw who my God was. So you and I can begin to lower the voice of fears and doubts and worries and anxieties. Saying, shh, 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 shh. My God's already won. Get out of here. Watch, watch what happens when we choose to posture ourselves in that way. Verse 29. The fear of God came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord, notice that, not how Israel, how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. When did peace come? Did peace come before the problem disappeared? Did peace come before they stood up and faced their enemies? Did peace come before they worshiped? No. You see, worship precedes peace. It was when they sought the Lord, when they fasted, It's when they got God's battle plan. It's when they walked in obedience and faced their problems and began to worship God in the face of their problems. God took care of it and then they were given peace. I think so many of us are desperate for the peace that we know is out there, but we haven't done the previous steps. We're over here, not obeying God, not following God, not leaning into God saying, God, give me peace. And he's like saying, I'm trying to. I've been trying to for a long time. If you would create some space in your life, I could begin to give you the plans that I have for you. You could begin to hear my word and you could walk in obedience and then you would get the peace that surpasses all understanding that you've been so desperate for. If we would choose to, like Jehoshaphat, sit in a posture of humility, we could begin to hear and receive the good things that God has for us. Because here's the thing about singing worship songs. It is not going to solve your Monday morning problem right? Like you jamming out to Red Rocks worship in your car is not going to change your boss's attitude towards you all of a sudden, right? Worship doesn't change our position, but it changes our posture and our perspective. Worship reminds me I'm not God. He is. It reminds me to sit in a place of humility and kindness and grace because that's who our Savior is. And then it changes my perspective on the problems. And I begin to see them differently. All of a sudden, that thing that was a problem is now an opportunity because that difficult boss was put in my life. I don't have a difficult boss. Let's just be clear. That difficult boss was put in your life 
that you as a follower of Jesus might help him with his problem. Because just as we universally raised our hands today that we have problems, can I tell you the world is full of them too? They are not problems to avoid it, be avoided. They are people to engage with the hope of Jesus. And if we can sit and remind ourselves that God has called us to be on this earth as light to the darkness, I can now see my problems differently. You catch that? They're not things to be run away from. They're things to be engaged and changed by the love of Jesus. As we wrap this up, I want to jump to Colossians. Is it kind of answers, how do we take, we're not in Second Chronicles, we're not Israel, how do we take that and apply it to us? Well, gratefully, Paul does that for us in Colossians. It says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. The message of Christ is the gospel of Jesus, which is we are all sinners deserving death. And yet Jesus stepped out of heaven onto earth, purchased you back from sin and darkness and set you up for life and life abundant. That is the good news, the message of Jesus. He said, with that message that you have been saved from the mess and the ash to be set into glory, would that dwell among you richly? This phrase gives the idea of like, you ever had one of those meals and you just finished eating the meal and you sat back and were like, ah, I need nothing. Except maybe a pedicure, but I need nothing, right? That's this idea that our hearts would be so full and satisfied that there's nothing we desire because we see what Jesus has given. He said, would that mark our time together as you teach, as you admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with what? Go back to that verse. With, with gratitude, and your heart's gratefulness for what Jesus did at the cross. And then there's this really important piece for us in verse 17. It says, whatever you do, meaning worship is not just the songs you sing, but the life you live. It wasn't enough just for Jehoshaphat to sing songs. They had to obey God and get up and face their problems. It's not enough for us just to sing songs on Sunday. On Monday, we have to live a life that is in alignment with the words we sing. Words of worship and a life of worship. Whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord. There it is again, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Every Sunday, we have an opportunity to do this together. And so uh, I want to give us some next steps. And I, w- I hope, let's go back real quick. Um, I'm going to lay out some next steps before you. And I hope you hear them for the encouragements that they are. Um, I am not calling anybody out today. You'll understand in a second. I wasn't even paying attention. But here's some things I think we as a church can continue to cultivate and grow in our heart of worship. Here's the first one for us. That we would come prepared and timely for worship. I wasn't looking at who came in late, and I wrote this sermon two months ago, so I'm not calling anybody out. But here's my heart in this. God has given you the battle plan of worship. He's given you a church that believes in worship. He's given you an environment where you get to come and receive the blessings that God has for you. And so if we're missing corporate worship, you are missing God's plan to give you peace. You are missing God's plan to speak truth to your heart. You are missing out on the goodness that God has for you and not just showing up on time, but having our hearts prepared for worship. At a church I served in previously, we had a rhythm of uh, inviting people early into a space to come and sit and begin to pray with the Lord. That you take all the problems that have a way of surrounding and, and drowning out God, and you would say, all right, God, here's my problems. It's this and this and this and this and this. God, I lay them at your feet, and I worship you. And you'd prepare for that moment. you come engaged to meet God in this space, and then you'd sing out in service. The reason 
we have the music at the volume we do, and we like it a little bit loud in here, and there's a reason for that. Because we want you to feel comfortable to sing out loud and not be worried about whether you sing like me or you sing like Luke, okay? Because if you sing like me, you're worried about who's listening to you, which is why it's in my car, okay? And here. So the volume is up so that you can feel comfortable to engage in worship with people around you, that you can meet God through this space. Another piece that I would encourage you in would be to listen to more worship music and fewer negative influences. And I'm not saying non-Christian music is bad. What I'm saying is we have to choose at some point to filter what enters our mind. And if you're surrounded by problems, worries, anxieties, and fears about the future, maybe just turn the knob down a little bit. Don't turn that channel on and just put some worship music on. Can I tell you the difference it makes in our home when there's all sorts of things going on? Like we have a little Google thing in the corner and we're like feeling the tension also. We're like, hey, Google, put Red Rock worship on as loud as you can. And like it just does something to our hearts in the space. So would you, in this season, as you lead up to Easter, maybe quiet some of that voice. And then this last one may seem a little bit interesting, but you would share this with people. I cannot tell you how many times I've been engaged in a conversation with someone who's not even a follower of God, who's going through some stuff. And all of a sudden, Caleb accidentally got turned onto their radio and they hear this song and they're like, man, this song is talking right to me. And I like figure out it's like a, a hill song, worship song, whatever it is. And, and then I drove by this church and I saw the sign and I just walked in and, and here I am, right? Like if you have problems, the world has problems and Jesus is the answer. And a song might be the very piece that God uses to break down those walls for somebody. So share your favorite, social, or your favorite song on social media or with a friend. Let's get it out there. But here's the big thing I want us to consider. It's not on the screen. The next time you face problems, would you put worship in your battle plan? The next time you get a moment like I did two months ago where insecurities and fears and doubts and wrestles and all that was hitting me, would you pause? Would you create some space? Would you allow God's truth to wash over you through worship? Would you engage in gratitude and reminding yourself that his love endures forever? Because remember, the battle is not yours, it's the Lord's. So let him fight it. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, I personally confess and acknowledge that there's so many other things I can tend to give my affection and devotion to that are not bad, they're just not you. God, I pray that in this season, our hearts would be shifted towards you. If you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, what I would say to you is that the whole, the gap, the lack of peace is offered to you in a relationship with Jesus. That even if you don't know these songs, that God has invited you to know him. And ultimately, the peace you're chasing would be found in him. If you would like to know more about that, come find one of us. Jesus, we thank you that we have peace. We have peace not because of the songs we sing, but because of what the songs remind us of. That you made peace between us and God through your sacrifice on the cross. God, I pray that the gospel, the message of Jesus, would dwell among us all richly. That our hearts would be satisfied in you and we'd need nothing. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.